Hi, and welcome to NARC, Narcissistic Abuse Recovery Collaborators. If you enjoyed today's podcast episode, you can follow me at pesquetta.medium.com, where you will find over a hundred articles on these subjects that we talk about here. And uh, you can also follow this podcast and get a lot more episodes that you can listen to at your leisure. Today, we're going to talk about the ones who always wear the mask. Right now, in 2020, as we approach the end of this horrible year with so many horrible things that have happened this year, it's been tough. Um, we're, there's that whole controversy and debate about wearing the mask, which shouldn't even be a controversy. It's not in most places around the world. People just suck it up and put it on. But anyway, you've got all that going on. But there's an, there's another kind of person out there who always wears their mask. And it's not the kind of mask you think it is. <laughs> this is a person with narcissistic personality disorder or perhaps, perhaps a sociopath or psychopath. They never leave home without it. They always have their mask. And it's not a COVID mask. It's the mask that is their false self that covers up who they actually are, which is nobody. They're nobody. They have no identity. They um, just really don't exist. They have to live through other people who adore them and show them affection and attention and all of that kind of stuff. They live through that. They, they assimilate. They absorb the identities of others. So let's begin by saying that there are quite a few tools in the narcopath, and a narcopath is sort of a narcissist sociopath or a narcissist psychopath, and they all kind of overlap sometimes. You can have two or three of them all at once, you know. You don't have to just be one if you're going to start trying to figure out labels and stuff. These are all cluster B disorders. There's many tools in the narcopath's toolbox. Weapons of mass seduction. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. Pity plays. Like, oh, poor me. I'm the victim. Smearing and blame shifting. Well, just, you know, these are a lot of the tools and the list just goes on and on. But one thing is for certain. The narcissist sociopath always wears a mask and never leaves home without it. So, I'll tell you what it makes me think about. Sometimes I think about Darth Vader, about the ugly, shriveled, pathetic mass of trembling, quivering goo that lived behind the all-powerful, intimidating mask. You know, the one that made the noise. Yeah, and the music. You know, all that. Remember how foreboding and scary? Like, oh, here comes evil. Here comes bad. Dun, dun, dun. So underneath all of this was, let's hear that description again, an ugly, shriveled, pathetic mass of trembling, quivering goo. Yeah, that's what was in there. Inside the Darth Vader thing, inside all of that mess was just this, this broken, crippled thing, damaged thing. But he created an omnipotent super persona to compensate for the injured, damaged, destroyed person who once existed inside what is now just like an empty cavern. 
he consumed it. Um, he, he, um, well, he groomed himself to be this menacing power consuming all just like a black hole. And, um, he constructed this so that he could swallow up an entire galaxy with only the power of his mind and his insatiable need for fuel or supply, which in the world of narcissism and sociopathy, we know what fuel and supply actually is and how that's the motivating force that drives all of them. They have to have it. They can't ever get enough of it. The difference between Darth Vader and most narcissists or sociopaths is that he had a redemption arc. That's what we English teachers call it, a redemption arc that enabled him to be saved in the end and to grasp his humanity once again before shedding his mortal coils. A typical narcopath cannot do that. They are incapable of regaining what humanity they once possessed as very young, vulnerable children before they were damaged beyond repair. It was eradicated early on, leaving them with a hollow, empty core that is void and vacuous and there's nothing there. It's like they live still in the womb with their dead twin that they murdered. You heard about that? It happens. It's like they cannibalized the better part of themselves and replaced it with something twisted and perverse. It's like they were cursed with the inability to feel either pain or joy and certainly not love. Not the kind of love that is real and healing and transformative and forever. They don't know what that is. They've never experienced it. How do you know something if you've never experienced it? Never receiving this unconditional love, they don't know what it is. They don't know what it is. COVID has challenged us to wear masks to protect one another, especially the vulnerable in the communities from sickness, disability, and possibly even death. But the pushback has been fierce as many declare their right to go maskless with the chant, you can't tell us what to do, we're not wearing that mask. And the narcissist sociopath, he has a similar attitude, but it's in reverse. They say, you can't tell us what to do, we're not taking this mask off for nobody, for anybody. <laughs> uh -uh. It's staying on. We can't show you what's underneath this, what's behind this mask. And man, is it well constructed. It is seamless. You have no idea that it is even a mask. You're looking at right at them. You are sleeping right beside them week after week, month after month, year after year. And you don't, you know, it's just, they're good at concealing this. They have built this um, fortress around themselves with this false self that is impenetrable. It's just absolutely uh, impenetrable. So what exactly are they trying to hide? <clears throat> so first, let me point out that some horrible things, um, the same horrible thing can happen to two kids, but one of them reacts by becoming even more empathetic to other people's suffering and swear that they're going to never inflict such pain on another human being. But the other one, the other child, they're like, let's say they're twins or something. This, this, the, this other child has the opposite response. They murder their true self 
to put it out of its misery, like a euthanasia or something. They resurrect a new false self that is stronger, fearless, powerful, charming, and self-serving to replace the weak, vulnerable self that just couldn't manage it all. They have no emotional empathy or intimate feelings towards anybody. Their relationship partners are only objects to serve their needs and retained as at-will employees with no contract or binding agreement. Yeah, here today, gone tomorrow, for right now, you're serving me well. So what is the difference between these two very responses that happen uh, that are like the antithesis um, of one another? Well, that is the million-dollar question, isn't it? What explains how two people can react so differently to the same trauma? Genetics, abuse, mental illness, fragility, maybe demonic influence. Who knows? It really doesn't matter why they become what they are. It only matters that you come to understand it so you can accept it and just move on and deal with it. The narcopath is a very easily adaptable creature. It's easy to be a chameleon and assimilate the characteristics of the flavor of the month or intimate primary source of fuel when you have no core identity and look to others to both define you and validate you. They often convince themselves that they are the good guys, the victim, and the one who was abused when in fact they were the perpetrators and predators who are capable of horrible, despicable destruction. They will look right at you and only see their own illusions and delusions that that's what's keeping them alive by blame shifting, projection, magical thinking, all of this stuff, right? All of this stuff. Of course, um, of course they have to demonize you. They have to make you the bad guy. If they saw the truth and acknowledged it of what they are and what they did, it would be impossible to wear the white hat and say, whoa, you know, I'm going to walk away without any accountability for any of my crimes because I didn't do anything. It's their fault. It's not mine. Yeah, their hands are bloody as they rip you to shreds and pull out your entrails and snack on them. All the while seducing and grooming your replacement. That takes some real skill, right? To be doing those two things simultaneously. They are incapable of wrapping their minds around what you did and will always do what they did and what they will always do. They're hardwired and programmed to do those things. They can't not do them. It's just not an option. They couldn't choose it if they wanted to. So recently, I will tell you a little something. Recently, I agreed to meet with my ex-narcopath husband uh, to exchange a few things. And it's been about 17 months since he discarded me. His revisionist history, lack of compassion or mercy, projection, and convoluted thinking were absolutely unbelievable to witness. It's hard to imagine how someone can lie beside you every single night, year after year, assume the, assume the same, like a little snuggling, spooning position, promise that they're going to be there and love you forever and ever, and say that they love you a million times, and then just flip a switch, push a button, and suddenly, boom, they exit your life, and they annihilate you while 
their side of the bed is still warm. They're gone. And they don't even blink or look back or nothing. Nothing. There is nothing. For 7,776,800 minutes, for 129,600 hours, for 5,400 days, for 450 weeks, we maintained what seemed to be a solid marriage, for the most part, with all the husband and wife roles in place, you know. Sure, there were bumpy spots and red flags. And then as it went along, in the end, there were some pretty horrific, horrible things. But we were a team, and we leaned in to solve these challenges and problems. We celebrated each other, as couples should do, shared a common vision, built a life a home, careers, side by side, day by day. The way it ended told me everything that had always been too hard to acknowledge and too easy to deny. It was a castle built on sociopathic sand. Yeah, there's such a thing. I sat there and left and, and well, I felt almost afraid to look at him for fear I would crumble into pieces and burst into flames when I saw him recently is what I'm talking about. And to begin, I stammered and giggled and felt like a gobsmacked middle school girl who just sat down with her first crush. And then for almost three hours, three hours, we talked while he basked in the copious fuel I was providing to him. He seemed almost hostile and contemptuous as he placed the blame of our failed marriage solely upon my shoulders by saying that he was too young when he met me. Um, and that my decision to begin a relationship uh, with someone so young um, was inappropriate and destined to fail. But it took him 15 years of being married to me, of holy wedded matrimony, to decide that he didn't want what I wanted and that it wasn't working. If he knew, why did he do it? <laughs> right? Um, you know, what did I want? I wanted fidelity. I wanted forever. I'm sure his victim narrative, and that's what it is. It's a victim narrative. It has played well with the people who did not know us. Newcomers who did not witness the success that our marriage had all those years. How we were a team and worked to accomplish things and we got them done and we did accomplish them and we, we rose in the ranks and we did all the stuff that people just dream of doing, you know, we had all of it. You know, it's a convenient excuse for abandoning me that others easily support when they are presented with the older, jealous, controlling, possessive uh, stories about me, like saying that's how I was. Those things weren't the reason why he left. He doesn't tell them about the porn addiction, the infidelities, the betrayals, the lying, all of it, you know, so much. There is no causal relationship between his actions and my reactions that is shared with his new groupies who only see a charismatic, sweet, innocent, gentle victim. Oh, that woman was just so jealous. She was so possessive, so controlling, so inappropriate. She was so old. And what was she doing with you? She must be some kind of weirdo. Oh my gosh. No. He didn't tell them the things he did that caused 
many of those things to happen. Skipped over that part, that it was a reaction. My behavior was a reaction to things that he did that were boundary violations. Some of them were criminal, criminal acts. And he can't play it off and say, well, it was because, you know, you didn't give me all the attention and affection that I needed. I had to go, I had no choice but to go, you know, try to seduce people in your family or, or have to go do these just horrific things that he did. Yeah, right? It's my fault. He came into my life, came into my house, came into my bed and robbed me blind, taking everything that ever mattered to me. He was old enough and had enough experience and destroyed females in his in the in the path behind him when I met him to be able to seduce me, prey upon me, use weapons of mass seduction, energy vibration, magic, and even more to embed himself in my life. You know, on our last meeting he said, you know, yeah, I guess I was a teenage predator. Yeah. Yes, that's exactly what you were. A teenage, opportunistic, narcissistic, sociopathic, antisocial personality, disordered criminal, manipulator, opportunist, mentally ill, broken, damaged, horrible person. Yeah, yeah, that is what you were. That is exactly what you were. And I was a boring, stable teacher, college professor. I was a college professor. I was had a very, very sedate academic life. I wasn't looking for trouble, but boy, it came to me. It came to me. He saw an opportunity, uh, and so he took it. He, he knew that I had a life that he wanted, and so he just took it. I was his ticket from the barrio to the boardroom, and I played my role very well for 15 years. And I thought I was doing it out of love for my husband when it was some other really weird, sick dynamic for him that he just didn't bother to tell me. So I somehow caused a narcissistic wounding that fed to the cold, fed into this whole cold fury is something that they have. His memory of Portugal and the events of June 2019 that caused this narcissistic fury to be unleashed, well, you know, uh, it required punishment, my punishment as a result. He had to punish me. And to commence uh, all of this, you know, was just, it was all very distorted. The mask came off and the verdict was death. He murdered me abruptly without warning less than 48 hours later. How dare I challenge his desire to play, to have unmitigated brashness, to set boundaries or demand loyalty? How dare I try to elicit culpability for his nefarious deeds? Where did I get the nerve to say, hey, you know, I'm a little bit uncomfortable with you being out all night with with people and not going back to your hostel where you're supposed to be staying until the sun comes up. I don't think that's how my husband should be behaving when we separate on these parts of our trips in the summer. And I didn't know that. I mean, yeah, we did a lot of our vacation together, but we, we split up when I did the mother daughter 
portion of the trip because my daughter wanted to have a mother-daughter trip. I wanted to have mother-daughter time with her. And during this mother-daughter time, he was off doing some things that were, um, that were not okay. When I first saw him walking towards me that day that I met him two weeks ago, after nearly a year, <laughs> it was so, it was okay. It was just incredible because, you know, what do you think happened? What do you think happened when I saw him after a year and a half of, of torture trying to recover from this and to unfuck a, a mind that is just twisted and in agony and going through all of this traumatic withdrawal and stuff from this really abusive thing that I had gone through. What do you think my reaction was after a year and a half of grief and suffering and horrible pain? Well, I was overcome with pure, unadulterated, high octane, unconditional feelings of euphoria and love. Oh my God, euphoria and love. It was like being struck by lightning or seeing God or something. All of the pain and horrible suffering of the past year just vanished in an instant like that. Boom, <laughs> like that. And, um, and I was overwhelmed with this emotion. There had been hundreds of days and nights spent where I was either plotting my death or his. Yeah. One of the two. And a lot of times, both of us plotting both of us. Like, how are we going to reboot and start this game over? This game's over. We got to reboot and start again in the next one. Copious hours in therapy, trauma, so much trauma, PTSD, interventions, desperate attempts to get the toxins out as I woke up all through the night with these acute panic attacks driven by the CPTSD that felt like death. I was suffocating on my grief, yet he had absolutely no idea what that must have been like all these months for me. He had no freaking clue. I stared at him and reminded myself that he is incapable of emotional empathy to the extent he has no freaking clue what he put me through. And he has no clue what it feels like to see someone you love, regardless of what they've done to you, how they've hurt you, and how they have filled um, you with just terror. And yet you're filled with love and light that would just melt the mountains into the sea. I asked if he had ever felt that kind of love for anyone. And he replied, I love myself like that. I only need to love me and no one else. That was the answer. It was never me. It's never, ever once asked about me, thought about me. Not in the past 17 months. Not now. At some point, you know you're describing color to a blind man. At some point, you realize that that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to describe color to a blind man. Not once did he ask about me, express any kind of regret that I have suffered because of his actions, or show any compassion or concern or mercy or anything, nothing, just nothing. He went on to ask me how many times I saw 
the mask slip or come off. It was as if he knew exactly what he was doing the whole time. I don't know. I recently found a journal where he described his sociopathic and sadomasochistic tendencies. When I told him about it, he played it off and said, when was that? When did I write that? Well, you know, I don't know. I must have been uh, delusional at that time. Or just he played it off like that doesn't mean anything that I wrote that down and said that when I was trying to be reflective and think about my life. When I went to therapy, when I went to sex addicts anonymous, I just wrote it down, but I didn't mean it. That's what he's going to say. He wrote it down. He did mean it. He knew it. He was more self-actualized and aware of what he was then than he was now that he was sitting across this table from me, 17 months gone, and he has regressed into some place of delusion and fantasy that's not even real. I said, yeah, you said you were a sociopath and you were a sadomasochistic person with these tendencies and that you had all these urges and compulsions to do all of these sick and perverted things, which he did list what they were, which I cannot repeat because it's just too, too much. But let me just tell you, he denied it all, even though I had it in his writing. I even took pictures of it on my phone in case I lost the journal where he wrote it all down so I could ever prove in a court of law that he is the pervert, the, the, he is the one that is the pedophile. He is the one that is the, the criminal. He is the one that betrayed and cheated and lied and, and, and can't stop his obsessions and his compulsions and his fantasy mind that convinces him of things that are not true. It was him. He acknowledged that he lacks emotional empathy and some compassion and maybe even love, but he just didn't really want to own the rest of it. He confessed that it was all a game and that people are just interchangeable parts to swap out and use as needed. He said that. He said, you know, uh, I'm never going to marry. I don't love anybody but myself. I have mutually beneficial arrangements with people. And so that's what benefits me the most. And I'm like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? This is who you are. Some narcissists and sociopaths are unaware of what they are. But my ex, he knows what he is. The last two times I saw him, he was without his mask and was floating around without identity. He appeared completely unhinged and mentally ill in a heartbreakingly profound way. But now, this most recent time, this was uh, in November. November 2020, today is December 1st, this has just been a couple of weeks ago, in November of 2020, now um, he's embedded a new fuel source, he's got a new person he's feeding off of, he's attached to her, he's mirroring and reflecting and absorbing her, he's attached and siphoning off of her, her very life force for this fuel, the supply that he requires, he seems more grounded now than I've ever seen him. More lucid, having more clarity, because he's her. He has absorbed her, and that has grounded him and given him the appearance of a very strong and confident mask that you cannot see under it or around it. There are no cracks in it. He has built this up just like Darth Vader. He's built it up just like he did with me. When I looked at him, I was seeing myself. I was in love with me because he was just reflecting me back 
because there was no him. So now he's got a new one. He's got a new replacement that replaced me now. He's had her since March. So it's been like eight or nine months. That's kind of a long time. And he's had time to become her um, firmly attached and grounded. And he seems much more together. All Not like crazy weirdo like he was the last time I saw him before he attached to her. He said he's happy. He has zero awareness of how that must feel to me. If, why would I care? Why would I even ask, are you happy? You know, husband who dumped me after 16 years, suddenly, unexpectedly, with no warning. Are you happy? Yeah, I'm really curious. I want to make sure. I just want to be sure. Are you happy? Right? Why would I ask that? Why would I even think about that? That's not uh, of interest to me, whether he's happy. He should have been happy with me. He had a respectable life. He had someone who loved him. He had a beautiful job and home and career, like everything. He had everything. Gave it all away. Gave it all away. And um, he has zero awareness of what that must feel like. I'm completely alone. He managed to wreck every relationship that I had to everybody. Now I don't even have anybody within like 2,000 miles of me. And But he's not alone. He's got her. He's got the replacement. And that has been a game changer for him. He even said, you know, one relationship is not better or worse than another. It's just different. Like, you know, y'all are all different, like different flavors of gum, like different kinds of toothbrushes, like different models of cell phones. It's nice to have variety. And they're all different. One's not necessarily better than the other one. Some have features that I like more. I like this one's. Yeah, I like uh, one thing about one and something else about another one. They all have favorite parts. Like that's the fun of it, you know, to to have different ones, different models with different parts that, that I like to play with more than others. Wow. You know, you really, you want all of the different flavors at the ice cream store? You want your cake and your ice cream and like all of it too? Like you can have it all and it works that way? Okay, all right. The vulnerable covert narcissist plays the victim, proclaims their innocence, and constructs their mask from their fuel supply. And the mask covers this dysregulated individual that cannot live without feeding off these other people. It's nothing personal. He may be sweet and helpful and kind and courteous and charming, but he's empty. He cannot identify with what he has done to others, what they feel, how their emotions are, or any of it. He just doesn't get what that is. That in itself is the most frightening thing of all. They just don't get it. They can't feel it. They are these beautiful chameleons with no soul or heart, only acting the part, going through the motions, pretending to be a real human. They are like aliens, body snatchers, serial killers, cult leaders, demented politicians. <laughs> no names there. Or um, soulless serpents with glitter and glam, right? Beneath that mask is something sick and twisted and empty and lost. Okay, here's a horrible admission. I still love that broken, ugly part of him. Even though it has hurt me, it's hurt people that I love, it has been criminal, it has been perverse, 
it has been sick and twisted and just uh just like think of the worst things you can think of and it's that but that's how i love people like even like you know if like if you had a child and that child was a serial killer don't you think you'd probably still love them and feel sorry for them and want to help them probably cuz that's your child um yeah it's the same kind of thing i think uh, Dr. Frankenstein loved his monster and didn't give up on him even after some bad stuff went down, right? He, you know, um, it doesn't matter, though, that, that I, you know, have love for him because he doesn't understand it. He's incapable of it. He can't feel it. He, you know, it's just, it's um, not going to happen. So he was my dream come true. And my worst nightmare, my worst nightmare. Um, every day I have to reset my mind and heart to reflect grace and compassion for both of us so I can begin to piece my life back together. It is my last great challenge. Guys, this is important. You can't be consumed by these relationships with these narcissists, sociopaths, psychopaths, even though it's like an addiction, it's like a brain brainwashing, altering your DNA and cellular structure, your chemicals are all imbalanced and dysregulated, you're physiologically holding trauma in your body. This is a complex, multi-layered um, kind of trauma-based PTSD or CPTSD that stays with you after these relationships. It is not your regular breakup. It's not a regular divorce. It's not a regular just grieve over it and then move on. There are other things at play here that are, it's like you've been in a cult for 20 years. It's like you have been abducted by aliens and just returned to earth after 20 years. It's like you've been held as a prisoner of war and you're just got your freedom after 20 years. You think you're just going to snap out of it? You do? Because that's that's not right. That's not going to happen. You're not just going to be like one day, oh, well, I guess I'm recovered. I'm ready to move on and start a new relationship. And I've done a lot of self-care and self-healing. And so now I'm really great. It's going to take a while. It's going to take a long while because you know what? This is not, uh, it's not a regular thing. There's just so much going on here. So you cannot allow yourself to get lost in that. You can't allow yourself to surrender to letting that own you because it certainly got me. It hijacked my whole life, my relationships with my children, all my, my aspirations for my career, to get tenure at the university where I taught, like all of the stuff that I had on my agenda of things and priorities that were important to me, it just hijacked all of them and, and destroyed them all, obliterated them. And you cannot let it continue to continue to own you after they're gone because it's like they're still in you. There's a psychic energy connection that binds you to this to this person who is not even really a person and you can't get free of it because it's got you jacked up in so many different ways 
that aren't like your normal regular thing. So I just want to say my greatest last challenge in life, and I am not young. I want to recover my soul following this trauma, this abuse that I suffered from this disordered person who cannot know the truth. They can't recognize it. They can't believe it. They can't see it. They don't know it. They don't feel it. The truth will never be the truth. They are incapable of seeing it and living in it. They live in another warped alternate reality that is fantasy and magic and twisted and convoluted and perverse. And you cannot let them take you to that Alice in Wonderland, upside down, rabbit hole kind of world and keep you there forever. Get back to your family, to your children, to the people who love you. Try to get back to them. That is my biggest challenge that I face at this point in my life is I want to return to my family because I have been gone for nearly 20 years because of this man who has this disorder and who stole my life. And I let him because I was weak. I was wounded. He just clicked in so easily to all of the broken little pieces in me. He just clicked in there and just snapped in. It just snapped together and it locked together and I could not get away. I want to recover my soul following the trauma of that relationship from this disordered, sick former husband who did this to me. And you know how I do that? I forgive him. And I am sorry. And I love him. And I am grateful. I forgive him. I love him. I'm sorry. I am grateful. Those four things. You have to get there. Be grateful for the lesson. Be grateful that now you're closer to God because you had to call out to him to help you to survive this. Be grateful for the lessons that you've learned about what's important in life with family and with other things. You have to be grateful that you managed to live through this at all. You have to forgive him. You can't sit around plotting his death or his injury or his re revenge against him. It's poison. It will kill you. You have to forgive him and know he can't do better. He's sick. He is impaired. He's incapable. He didn't choose to do this. He is not okay. He's never going to be okay. You have to forgive him for what he is and feel sorry, if anything. Pity him. He's never going to know what love is. He's never going to know what love is. He's never going to feel it towards anyone else. And he's never going to experience it being given to him either. I forgive him. I am sorry for my part in it. that For my part that I stayed, that I enabled, that I empowered, that I played the game, that I allowed it to happen, that I that I didn't get away sooner, that I that people were hurt in the process. I'm so sorry that I could not fix him. I'm so sorry that I could not heal him. I'm so sorry to everyone in my family 
to him, to everybody. It just did not go how it was supposed to go. It was supposed to be okay, and it wasn't, and it can never be okay. These people cannot be fixed. So I'm grateful. I forgive him. I am sorry. And I love him. I love him. No matter what. No matter what he's done to me or to all the other people or whatever, you know. I know what he is. I know it's monstrous and criminal and hideous and ugly. Let's try to think about that. Think about what I've said. These things need to happen and we have to let them go. Because that mask, they're going to have to keep having one. And they don't want you anymore. They've, they've used you. They've sucked you dry. They got all they could and they have to move on. You're, you're not feeding them enough. They can't, they can't survive without that fuel. They can't. It's not even a choice. It's hardwired in there. They got to go. They got to go get it. They got to go get it anyway. They can, even if it destroys them, even if it, no matter what, you know, so, ah, that was a heavy topic today, but uh, that's where we're going, all of us that are in recovery from relationships with these people. What I've talked to you about today, that's, that's where we're all headed, to try to do that, to try to challenge ourselves to get things right, to fix us, to fix ourselves and to repair the relationships that have been damaged in the process of this horrific experience. Okay, everybody, let's uh, be determined, be focused, be strong, be determined. Get that vision in front of you of where you want to go and keep your eyes on it and move towards that light and do what you need to do. Time is not on your side. You don't have all the time in the world to do this. You need to get up and you need to get on today. Let's get moving. Much love to everybody. Bye-bye.